Hey there, we're the Westlap Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the visceral. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. A uh, couple announcements just right off the top. Um, obviously, coming off uh, a 38-14 to 14 loss at Duke. Uh, we'll talk about that for a little bit, but uh, probably not go too, too deep into it. You know, it was what it was, and we got uh, a lot in front of us. A um, couple things to just you know mention up off the top. Uh, we spoke with Jacob Schmidt uh, a little while back on, on the podcast about uh, some of the uh, NL, uh, NIL things that uh, the Northwestern is doing. And if you are listening to this on the 20th, the day that we're releasing it, uh, at 8 o'clock tonight, I know it's kind of short notice, but uh, Jacob is hosting a Zoom for people who are interested in learning more about uh, what Northwestern is doing in NIL. If you're interested, email him at jacob at truenu.org uh, for some of the details. Um, I, I know it's last minute. We're you know just kind of putting this together and our recording schedules being what they are. Uh, yeah, uh, so tonight, the 20th, 8, 8 o'clock central, uh, Jacob's doing a, a open Zoom for people wanting to learn more about NIL. Uh, also, um, this weekend for the Minnesota game, uh, it's a 6 o'clock start, so that means we're going to have a nice, uh, good time for tailgating. Uh, we will be out there in the East lot. A uh, l- bunch of people came by last time. It was awesome to talk to everyone. Uh, come by, see us. Uh, I, I know the plan is to be as close to Wildcat Alley as possible, um, right next to the the band alumni. Uh, so we'll we'll hopefully we'll be there. But you know, look for that red pirate flag because uh, John and I will be there. I think we got some some fun stuff uh, cooking in the hopper. Um, you should have some pretty decent food so uh definitely look for us on the red under the red pirate flag and maybe look for a pair of jerseys uh that will be yes perhaps just perhaps look for a couple of northwestern hockey jerseys uh under the red pirate flag and you may find us section 128 right uh roughly 54 rows up that yep that that's where that's where we're sitting so you know if you Find us inside the stadium. Uh, come by, say hi as well. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's all I have for announcements. Uh, I mean, what, what really is there to say about this game? I mean, Duke is good. Let's uh, let's let's start there because I felt like I felt like people were losing their collective minds on Saturday, uh, and I and I like let me preface that with like it was a frustrating game it was a disappointing game you know we 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 had all had some hope that maybe you know you'd see see some more progress the team seemed to take a little bit of a step back from you know from what we had seen the week before in terms of creativity certainly in terms of execution um and it was it was real bad but like there was the the doom and gloom was um kind of like i I couldn't take it anymore and and i kind of put out a comment like like look look folks this is this is a bummer. It's not how any of us wanted this to go, but like, this is pretty much what everyone was expecting. I mean, Northwestern, te- like, like this is this is what what was expected. Now, granted, we didn't cover the the what eighteen and a half point spread. We lost by twenty four, but um, still, like, getting smoked by Duke was was what was expected. And and I, I was I was talking to um to a friend over the weekend who was 
expressing surprise that Duke was any good. And I was like, listen, like, I don't hold you to that. But if you, it, you need to watch more football, well, yeah, if you're, if you're <laughs> tweeting about Northwestern football online, I assume that you're paying enough attention to know that Duke beat Clemson a couple weeks ago and is really good. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we start off this pod, like leave me personally being like now untethered from the need to pretend that I care about this Duke game anymore. I'm just like, one way to look at this, Duke opened us through. Why, why how Pat Fitzgeraldian of you, John? <laughs> well, yeah, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not touching that. Just move on. Uh, the, I, I, one, I mean, look at it this way. They opened us three touchdown favorites. We chose not to kick a football on what, like, the, the field goal on the second or third to last drive of this game that would have, at the end of the day, made it 38-17, and there's 21 points. Look, Dukes, I don't think I ever harbored any illusions we were stopping this offense. We all know about the, you know, the line of scrimmage issues. We've talked about them ad nauseum. They're... There will be time to talk about that in this pod. It's much better spent on the Minnesota piece of this. But you fold into that the fact that, yeah, again, it's like so many people want to rewrite history relative to this Clemson game because Clemson fumbled it, what, twice inside the Duke 10-yard line as if Duke didn't turn the ball over a couple of times and that when Duke wasn't turning the ball over, Riley Leonard was looking like a god against Clemson just like he looked against us. It's an offense where everything works and they have a legit Heisman Trophy candidate pulling the strings on it. Hey, hey, guess what, John? Clemson, if Clemson could have scored both of those touchdowns when they when they fumbled inside of the 10-yard line, and they still would have lost by seven. They got their asses kicked by Duke, folks. Right. Duke is, they're an awesome football team, and you saw it. And, and I think to the point that Northwestern started with this ball, had a third and one at, what, our own 30 or whatever, didn't convert it, had a fourth and inches. Coach Braun elected to punt. We in the moment were like, boy, I don't think this is the kind of game where you play, where you do anything other than play like your hair is on fire. And to his credit, with honesty and great humility, as he has rapidly established, is his way. Um, Coach Braun, that was the first thing he addressed. But boy, I wish I could go back and do that again. I, I, that was on me. I should have gone for it, etc. And it's like, that's the way he conducts himself all the time. I like, I mean, they're like, I have like, I think we all have this kind of budding love affair with Braun and the way he operates, and really want to see this guy pick up some wins. But his his approach his approach has like just to double down on that. It's been a breath of fresh air, and not just for Northwestern, like for college football in general. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I, I just, I like, and he's not, you know, he's not out there being, being nutso either. Like when you hear him talk, it's, he sounds like a football coach, right? But like the, the willingness to be honest and, and to have some humility and, and whatnot is, is pretty great. Yeah. And again, it's like, he, he's right. I mean, like, again, like this was a game where, we were going to have to pull out all the stops, take all the risks, and then get lucky because Duke's offense is just, they're, they're a mess. And you know what? Their defense is really good. And you know what? Because they're probably really poorly ranked right now at, what, 21st in the nation or whatever they are. Like, they're an awesome football team. And again, it's like, so the only ways that I think are useful to 
to go over this game are like certain things we saw, certain things that can be spun forward. Because it's like as we were talking about, even as the game was happening, it's like, look, folks, our like our beef ain't with Duke here. It's with Minnesota, Nebraska, uh, Purdue, Illinois, maybe Iowa. It's like this is where we're looking right now, and it's all about lessons and growth that you can take out of this game and apply it chiefly to this massive game that we have coming up Saturday night. I, I also want to mention something kind of, you know, big picture. And, and that's another thing to take away from this game. Um, on Inside and You uh, yesterday or er- earlier this week, uh, Ignacio Dowling had a really, int- a really good piece kind of talking about, you know, think about where Duke was a couple years ago. Um, you know, they were, they were more bound. Uh, they were, they were struggling. I mean, it, in Duke and Northwestern really have a lot of the same, you know, pluses and minuses going for them. Right. And like, as quickly as Duke has turned it around, I mean, they, they made the right hire at head coach. Mike Elko came in and turned it around quickly. That that's kind of something that you, I, I, I'm kind of holding on to. It's like, if we can go out if if Braun is not the answer long term, you know, for Northwestern, if we can go out and make the right hire, there's no reason that we couldn't make a similar quick turnaround. And I mean, again, I, I, like there are a lot of people who are moving on to that point, and I'm just like, I think we really like David Braun. We really like what we've seen from him so far. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I'm I'm not I'm I'm not saying that like you know I'm done with Braun, but I'm just saying. There, there's opportunities for Northwestern to turn this around faster than I think a lot of people think that could happen. It's just you got you got to make sure you're making the right hire. Braun might be that right hire. Sure, and I think again, like your, <clears throat> again, it's like there are so many lessons to take out of this Duke game, but it's like I don't know that we even want to discuss them in the context of Duke because I think we all think this Minnesota game is so important. Um, but in in a broad sense, you saw even with Duke, like the gears, that guy on the defensive side of the ball, the gears are turning all of the time. And the list of guys that played in this game, I mean, like he, again, like we were wondering, Xander Mueller, who we all know is one of Northwestern's very best defensive players, was off the field in favor of McElwain for like, I don't know, like a series or a couple of plays or anything. And again, we don't know. And it could have been Xander was banged up, but it didn't feel like a negative or something that was going against Xander Mueller. It would very much felt like Braun being like, I'm trying to get more personnel on the field. I'm trying every look. I want to see every piece of this and find all the pieces that work. So I know you saw Robert Fitzgerald get out there at safety. Same reason. Um, you saw, all of these guys rotating in and he's trying and again you know as we paint the picture of this minnesota game you'll see that like there are times when you're gonna want a guy who is going to try everything to take down the opposition until he finds something that works so uh, on more of a granular level uh what what positives can we take away from from the game i mean you, you talk about you know, get, seeing a lot of, of things on defense. Um, I want to sh- shout out Anto Saka, who is you know not so quietly putting him, you know, making a name for himself. I mean, he's he's able to rush the passer, and I know Braun talked about in his press conference, like Braun's really hoping that Saka can turn into a, a three down player. Um, 
and you know he he's he can he's rushing the passer really really well as you know a couple sacks already like he's someone you know to really keep an eye on i i was i was definitely impressed with the way he played uh last saturday yeah one of the big things other than just the raw power and the raw ability is when i watch soccer you're reminded that he was a four-star recruit at linebacker you see not just the power but the agility and the speed the first sack his sack that he had two weeks ago against utep it took the power to drive himself but then suddenly like he basically contorted himself like a gymnast to get to that position to make that tackle he's crazy flexible and he has a ton of agility and he's got all the tools and it's the kind of guy where like as we all know it's like you've got a guy like that and you're like you just have to get him in position you got to get to those third downs the kind of third downs that we got against duke or you've got to spot the tendencies of the weaknesses in the opposing team um which again as we've established like is it like a perfect, is it a panacea? Like is David Braun always going to be the magic solution that finds that? No, but if you give that guy an inch, and again, playing a team against Minnesota where you may see some of those things, he's going to find the way to get the most out of a predator like Saka. I, I, I'll be honest, I'm struggling to come up with a lot of other positives coming out of Saturday. Um, Certainly on the offensive side of the ball, I felt like the team really took a step back from from what we had seen in week two. And I like some of that is certainly they just weren't able to do things against Duke that they that worked against UTEP. But like we talked a lot after week one about you can't just, you know, run four nine routes with your receivers and take a seven step drop and hope that Ben Bryant can you know, throw a 50-50 ball and it's, and it's going to do something. Like, you're, you're basically setting up, setting up your QB to get smoked, particularly because he's not a scrambling quarterback. And we didn't seem to do the stuff with motion or screens, of, like effectively screens, um, draw plays. Like, we just, we just don't seem to have the counters when, um, when our back's against the wall, uh, to, to try and get out of it. Right. It's like, it's like, unless we're doing that stuff from the, you know, from a position of strength, like we were against UTEP. Um, and I don't know, maybe, maybe like maybe the adjustments just weren't possible against uh, a team that's strong. I guess like one small, small ray of hope is that, you know, similar to week one, Brendan Sullivan came in, f- drove, you know, drove the team down and scored a, a garbage time touchdown. And, you know, may- maybe he gets a little bit more run against Minnesota, Maybe he's the starter. I, I don't know. Um, no, nah, he, he uh, Brian has pretty much said it's Brian's job. Yeah. So I like, I mean, like, I, I, I tend to take him at his face value, but like, you know, things can change, right? Um, oh, of course. Of course. But I just, I, I kind of go back to like where we've got to use, we've got to be smarter. Like, we, like, we do not have a set of offensive players that can out athletic or out execute other other power five teams we've 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 got to bring a smarter approach to scheme and play calling and that felt like a real step back on saturday and it's 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 that is making it very hard for me to come up with other positives um but maybe it informs like the way that it, it's becoming even more clear. I know, John, you dug deep on this. Like, what what Northwestern, why Northwestern's offense is so limited right now, and what they could actually do against Minnesota to open it up. Well, so like, okay, I everything you're saying is true. 
I could phrase it like this. Here would be like a really easy way to phrase it. Northwestern, who had pretty bad third down numbers against Duke, had great third down numbers when it was third and short to third and medium. If it was somewhere between third and one and third and five, Northwestern was in pretty good shape. In fact, one of the only times Northwestern didn't convert from that distance was on the opening drive when they got to fourth and inches and we were all like, you should go for that. The problem was that Northwestern was absolutely sunk the second Northwestern got behind the sticks. If it was third and long, third and six, seven, eight, nine, ten, Northwestern was basically sunk. And I think a huge part of the reason for that is Duke was the first time But you're going to see it against Minnesota, Penn State, Iowa, where the secondaries are just awesome. The guys back there are great. And when teams have great defensive backs, they tend to be very comfortable shifting into man coverage and playing you tight the second they feel like they know what you're going to do in long yardage situations. I I have to just like... I, I do not think Minnesota's secondary is in the same class with those other teams you mentioned. Well, well so here's here's the thing. I would say from a depth standpoint, and this is the thing, I don't want to step on it because we're going to talk about Minnesota so much. I, A, agree with you, soft, that their secondary is not good. Their best players match up with the best players on most of those other secondaries. The difference in a larger sense between Minnesota and every other team I mentioned is the other teams have defenses that are way better than Minnesota's defense um, in every other way, including Duke. And that's one of the really big things is there is a little bit of force through the trees here because I think we're all of the opinion that Mike Bajakian is like, especially as a game wears on, is not necessarily the most creative guy in the world and that when you get in a third and six, third and seven, a lot of teams feel like they know what we're going to do, that we might run a crossing route or two, or we might run no crossing routes and run the dreaded four nine Scuzz is referring to. But if they are confident in their defensive backs, they are more than confident to comfortable going straight man and bringing heat. And that's what Duke did. And the what you saw was we were two for eight in those situations, two for eight on third and long. And just about every one of those incompletions, you know, those all ended drives. And if you look at all punt, 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 and Northwestern not getting on the board, you look and you're like, that's why. The flip side is you arrive at that kind of place as I arrived in that place because you're kind of just, you're trying to juxtapose how until the Brendan Sullivan drive did this team only have seven total points when the offensive line gave up one sack And Cam Porter had a totally respectable 49 yards. And yes, 25 of that was on one carry. But circling back to the Duke's awesome on defense fact, everyone should know that for your interior linemen here, Ben Rather, Josh Preeb, Dom D'Antonio, those guys may not face a better pair of defensive tackles this week, this year, than they faced this past week in uh, Dwayne Carter, the big one, and then Jamion Franklin, who's just a monster. Those two guys are like, I don't know, they're both like 315, and they're elite. Carter might be the best defensive tackle in the ACC. That's an awesome group of defensive tackles. And I look at the Cam Porter's 25-yard run, and you see Prebs matched up on Carter on that play. And yet, there is a little bit of like riding the tornado 
because that guy's so flipping good and he's going to be a high NFL draft pick. But Preeb gets it done. You watch it and he does it. He seals him off. He gets him into the hole and Porter makes a great run out of it. And the offensive line has taken huge steps from the past couple of weeks. Again, like Duke, a great defense, got to the quarterback one time. I mean, twice, but one was Sullivan on a drive where he eventually scored a touchdown. Um, and that was all backups at that point. So the the line has gotten way better. And Duke's defense is really good. It's just you get the feeling with this team. Oh, God. Like, there was one play that I think we tried to throw a wide receiver screen. It was tackled for a two-yard loss. And there's the feeling, ugh, this drive's over. Because now it's second and 12, and this the second this team gets behind the sticks. That's kind of where we are right now. And it's like, look, this team, again, they were like, I think, 7 out of 10 on third and short. Like, they move the sticks. If there's balance there, if there's the ability. But it's, A, staying out of the long-yarded situations. And, B, like, you got to do something. Like, it's these teams. Like, Duke was like, here comes another throw. Like, like Brian ain't running. They ain't going to give it off. They ain't going to hand it off to Porter. They ain't going to run a screen. It's another one of those like late breaking routes or whatever, like peel your ears back, go after him. Um, You got to get past that. You got to get over that. um, And you got to capitalize on the fact that this team has gotten way better, particularly on the offensive line since week one. You got to make that mean something. And anything else to talk about uh, for this Duke game? Like I said, you know, I I don't know that we want to spend too much more time on it. No, I think I, the, just the one thing I'd throw up by way of transition is that Northwestern's experience against Duke looks dramatically similar to Minnesota's experience at North Carolina this past weekend. Yeah, accurate. Team, just up the road. A, a team that is um, similarly ranked, um, probably better on offense than – like have more disparity between their offensive and defensive units than, than Duke, but led by um, a big-time QB. But, like – a game where, again, like the score was lopsided. So North Carolina won 38-13. First downs, 26 to 19. Uh, In our game, it was 25 first downs to 19. Um, Minnesota forced North Carolina to a lot more third downs, and and, um, Duke forced us to do a lot more third downs, but we had a better conversion rate. I just, I don't know, like there were more turnovers in that game than our game, but like overall the complexion of these two games looked – pretty similar that does not mean that northwestern and minnesota are going to come out and play to a draw i'm just like i think there were a lot of i'm I guess i'm going back to my initial point there were a lot of people kind of freaking out at how bad northwestern looked against against duke and that's a lot of you know kind of laundry perspective and like like duke's a dramatically better team than minnesota and minnesota has some real warts that um look like look exploitable for Northwestern. So I can't wait to get into it. I mean, again, this is a, it's a huge game. There's a lot here. It's a really important game. And it's a game where like Scott says, like this is absolutely a game you can bootstrap yourself right up into Minnesota will let you do that. If you play the right game. So, yeah, I mean, so Saturday night, six 30 start, um, Minnesota's coming to town. I mean, this is a team, that has looked shaky. I mean, they, you know, had to come back to beat Nebraska. You know, Nebraska team that is as shaky as we thought they would be. Um, you know, they had trouble with North Carolina in much the same way, like you guys said, as we had trouble with Duke. And, uh, yeah, they won a game against 
you know, Southeast nowhere state. So you know, PJ Fleck and the Fleck tones coming in. Let's so let's in the interest of saving what I think we all agree are probably the media spits, which is Minnesota's offense. Let's look at Minnesota's defense first, because Scuzz talked about we were talking about good secondaries and Scuzz made the point and he ain't wrong that Minnesota secondary is different from all those other secondaries that I mentioned. Like where, again, you're talking about Duke's secondary, Iowa's secondary, Penn State's secondary, where these are universally agreed to be elite units in the country. Minnesota has a couple elite players and those players happen to be in the secondary. Justin Wally is a phenomenal cornerback and Tyler Newbin is an awesome safety. And then it drops off a lot. And I mean, at all levels. Um, there is a reason Drake May tore a hole in this football team. He threw for 414 yards. Um, they, again, Nebraska, like who now I think is pretty agreed, has an absolutely anemic uh, offense. Did some things against Minnesota. Again, that game was ugly on both sides. But then the next week, they got absolutely stoned by Colorado. A, I think, who no one's mistaking for an elite defense. So it's, they have their warts. And I think one of the things that we were really pointing out relative to Minnesota is they know who their best players are. And they know Wally is a great matchup corner. So again, like you see, we should put up tape from Eastern Michigan, a team that Minnesota handled, where when Eastern Michigan got in third and long, Minnesota just rolled them up. They gave Newbin the entire deep field to cover, be like, he'll handle anything over the top. Everyone else goes up. If it's someone like Wally and they can just do straight man on whoever the best wide receiver is, great. If we have to chip a wide receiver at the line, we'll chip a wide receiver at the line, but we're going man and we're bringing heat. And against North Carolina, like, honestly, North Carolina had a couple third and longs, and they converted a couple of them, and they didn't convert a couple of them. But North Carolina didn't have a lot of third and longs because they were dusting Minnesota all the time. First down, second down, like, May through for a billion yards. Um, And Minnesota, if you find some sort of rhythm, and you can run on them, and you can throw on them, What you can't do is what we let happen to us a bunch of times against Duke. You can't just find yourself in third and seven and then be like, well, there, you know, it's here it comes. Like, we're going to drop back. We're going to run a couple routes and see if we can find someone. Minnesota is just going to be like, here comes six guys and we know you can't run. So here it comes. Um, You have to front foot them. They're not an amazing defense and haven't been for a couple of years. We've been very clear on this point every year when we talk about Minnesota. Um, They want to do, they historically, especially in the Shiraka era, they wanted to do ball control and they were really good at it and that kept their defense off the field. But North Carolina is the perfect example. You can hit them. And especially if you're unbalancing them and especially if you're doing damage on first and second down, you absolutely can move the ball against this team. Well, it does take a more aggressive approach. So North Carolina did not run the ball very much or particularly well. Uh, I think they had like 100 yards rushing. Um, when you when you look at their individual carriers, you know, they averaged like 2.8 overall. They only had 37 carries. 13 of those were Drake May scrambles or sacks. So, um, I mean, they just, they just didn't run the ball much. 
like Northwestern tip like has often leaned on that. Like, hey, we want to run the ball, we want to bludgeon people with with Cam Porter. Like, we've got to be smarter. Come come in coming into this game. Like we like that's probably not gonna work against Minnesota. You're gonna need to be a little bit more aggressive on first and second down. You're gonna need to find the right the right passing concepts. Um I mean Henning's speed is like when you when you look at at, at how Henning has been used to date, it's very, very short yardage um type situations like he we're just not like like his his speed laterally has been a weapon um vertically it has not and like it's it's probably because a lot of the times he's going vertical we got everybody else going vertical too in that four four nines scenario and just like it ain't it ain't doing much um well the, another thing too like piggybacking off of that relative to the wide receivers because on one hand you can be like look like like what we're talking about, we're not saying that like Northwestern's receivers aren't athletic enough. It doesn't really work that way. When a team has elite defensive backs and they put you up in man, yeah, unless you have like, I don't know, like a Drake May or like a full-on NFL prospect quarterback that can absolutely locate a ball on a dime, you're going to be throwing into crazy tight windows all the time. With not, without not with a lot without a lot of time to get the ball out, and it's one thing if you've got some six four two hundred and twenty pound receiver high pointing footballs in man coverage situation, but we trade that for speed because like we effectively have to. But part of the reason I'm bringing that up is Northwestern had a ton of catches in this game that were basically ten yard catches. Cam Johnson had five for forty five. Bryce Kurtz had four for forty two. Those are first down equivalent catches. The thing is, the vast majority of those catches were not made on third and long situations. A bunch of them happened on first because it's speedy guys running through zone coverage, finding holes, being caught in stride. We're really good at that. That's the kind of personnel we have. But it's like you got to cash those tickets. You got to use that. You got to catch a guy in Henning, a guy like Henning in stride. And as we were talking about, North Carolina's got a guy named Nate McCollum who's basically an A.J. Henning clone. He's like 5'8". He's like the same size and weight as Henning. And they got him open a ton. May hit him a ton of times in the game, and he got big yards. And those opportunities will absolutely be there for us. It's not making mistakes, no penalties, no negative plays, and we can't be getting stuffed at the line for one yard when we hand the ball off. Um if you can get around those issues, like you for sure can move the ball against Minnesota. It's not a great defense. So on, on the flip side, offensively, um, I, I mean, like where, where, where do you, where do we begin? Well, so can we rewind because the, it's so funny. And I feel like Scuzz is part of a reason that even us, but certainly you all are aware of Kirk Shiraka's imprint on the big 10 <laughs> in recent history. And particularly when it comes to Minnesota and particularly when it comes to Minnesota last year, um, I think if you rewind and you look at the Minnesota game from last year, absolute horror show. We had games where the final score was more lopsided, but I would argue nothing looked worse to watch than the Minnesota game did because Minnesota with Ibrahim Campbell and Trey Potts basically ran the exact same play 52 times in that game. Um, they went under shotgun with five linemen, tight ends to one side, and then they literally ran the same play, just a shotgun dive. 
and either the tight end wham blocked or he just straight up blocked, but they didn't even pull linemen. They just pushed their way down the field for like five and a half yards of carry for an entire football game. And it was horrible. We were all there, um, and it was just a, a horrible thing to witness in that moment where you like see the power difference and everything that's different. Well, as Scuzz outlined, the offensive line is not at the level this year that it was last year. It's not bad, specifically from a run-blocking standpoint, and they have a really good young running back. But then it gets squirrely because, like, I've watched all of Minnesota's tape this year. And sh- Before you yeah. go there, let's just let's just dig in on that, that comment you just made about the running back yeah. and the running game. So we when we previewed this team, we said we don't think that they're going to be able to dominate in the running game like they did last year and really control the clock and just bludgeon teams and, and et cetera. And in game one against Nebraska, like that could not have been more true. Uh, Sean Tyler, who was like a, a four year starter at Western Michigan transferred to, to Minnesota, you know, big time runner. We thought like, all right, this guy's going to, you know, plug in and, and be able to do some stuff, but not as good as Campbell, et cetera. Well, he looked pretty bad against Nebraska, and, and Minnesota's offense looked really bad as a result. Um, the only thing they had going for them was was uh, Darius Jackson, uh, their receiver, started to hook up with, with Kali Akmanis late in the game and then had that just epic touchdown. Well, Jackson had like two plays in the Eastern Michigan game. I can't tell if he's injured or, or just like fell off the radar or what the story is. There's, there's nothing out there. Um, didn't play against North Carolina at all. And then on the flip side, they've found or they've they've gone to um, a true freshman, highly rated guy, Darius Taylor, um, at running back. So Darius Taylor is a five star recruit. Uh, he is from Michigan. Was um, <laughs> visited visited Northwestern on March twelfth, twenty twenty two. Um, was debating between uh, Minnesota and Iowa. Uh, I think he ha- even had a had a Michigan offer. Um, at one point, so I mean, the, the, this dude, this dude was offered by by pretty much the entire Big Ten. Uh, decided to go f- to go to Minnesota. Um, really highly rega- regarded. Gets the start against Eastern Michigan and, and blows their doors off. One hundred ninety three yards, averages like eight per carry. Came, came back against North Carolina. Looked strong against North Carolina. Twenty two carries, one hundred thirty eight yards. Like ripped off a thirty yarder. Was doing a lot of damage on first down. Like this, this guy could be a real problem for us. But for whatever reason, it's not translating for Minnesota, and that's that's not super different from last year either. Like like what John just described in terms of what you saw from Minnesota's run game against us last year, they basically put the the exact same stats the following week against Iowa and lost ten to thirteen. Um, so it's it, it is it is the, the offensive coordinator piece that John's about to detail like makes it worse this year somehow. But it's it's weird that Minnesota. Last year, you started to see the situation where they could still be running for a ton of yards and not be converting that into points effectively. It It's super weird. And I think we all, as Northwestern fans, like you all know, on both sides of the ball, offensive and defensive coordinator for the past couple of years, there's been so much pulling your hair out, being like, oh my God, why did we do that? Why did we do that? And it's, I don't want to say it's rare, But I'm just saying I've watched all of Minnesota's tape this year and I watch it all and I spend so much time when they have the ball being like, what the F are you doing? Like they have these two 
co-coordinators who were promoted after Sharaka left. And one is the former tight ends quarterbacks coach. One is the former wide receivers coach. And they just want to make fetch happen with Ethan Kaliakmanis. I don't know how to <laughs> phrase it any better than that. These guys want to put the ball in the air when they can and look like, I think, it's, it's, we, let's safely say Ethan Kaliakmanis is a quarterback capable of playing atrocious football. And they just want to use him. And like the Taylor thing, Darius Taylor's awesome. I mean, this guy, plug him in for three more years at Minnesota. Like, he's sick. He was, like Scuzz said, a big recruit. Um, he's a burner. And not only is he really good, they've already found, well, theoretically found, because it's on tape, a play that just uses him perfectly. So they go into the exact same situation, the exact same uh, set that we saw so much last year, which is just shotgun, tight end to the strong side. Sometimes they put two tight ends to the strong side. Then they down block everyone and they read option the strong side outside linebacker. And honestly, I don't think Kaliak Manis is ever not giving that ball to Taylor unless the linebacker absolutely 100% commits. And basically they just try to catch that outside linebacker flat-footed and Taylor's so fast that it's an elite play and they get right by. And Xander Mueller or McElwee whoever's out there, like tall order, like it's hard. They run that play really fast and he's really fast. But as I'm saying this, you must be thinking like, oh, well then they must run that play 30 times a game. You'd think so, wouldn't you? But they don't. And the North Carolina game was just, again, as Scuzz said, Taylor went 22 for 138 and had a great day running the ball. And they let Ethan Kaliakmanis throw 18 incomplete passes and an interception in this game. His QBR was 28.6. Okay? They want to use him. And somehow these two dudes are up there being like, well, you know, when it counts, we're going to need Ethan Kaliakmanis to deliver for us. It's like, no, you're just going to lose those games. But all you can do really right now is hurt yourself in the games that should be very straightforward by trying to use him. And they totally did that against Nebraska. Like, again, like we were going back looking, being like, how did Darius Taylor not play in this game? It's not like he was hurt. He had one carry for three yards against Nebraska. And then it almost feels like Fleck went to the, his co-OCs and was like, you better effing run the ball a million times against Eastern Michigan or so help me. And then they did. But then against North Carolina, they went right back to trying to throw it with Kaliak Manis. So there's part of me that wonders, somehow is the Kirk Sharaka tape these two guys are looking at not the Kirk Sharaka tape from last year's Minnesota game, but the Kirk Sharaka tape from the Rutgers game? Because they want to be like, oh, but look, they can't get to the quarterback. Ethan can get comfortable back there. And it's like, there's that part of me that's like, oh, God, can we UTEP this thing? Like, can is Braun able to outcoach these two dudes who have only been coordinators for, what, two games, three games, uh, and find a path for us here? I'm going to, I'm just going to call out, like, I'm going to, I want to, I want to use two specific examples from the game. So with what, like eight minutes to play in the third quarter, Minnesota uh, gets the ball back. They, they stopped North Carolina 
They, you know, so start of the second half, Minnesota kicks a field goal on their opening drive to, to cut the lead to eight. Then they stop North Carolina to get the ball back. So they're down eight points. They've got the ball midway through the third quarter. They're running with Taylor. They're running with, with Tyler. So, you know, Taylor gets a run for 28 yards. They bring in Tyler. He gets a couple runs. Um, Kalek Manas has a run, incomplete pass. Uh, second and 10 from the 44. They run Darius Taylor. Then they bring in Cole Kramer, the kind of bulldozer quarterback. And I don't know if, I don't know if Kalek Manas was banged up here or, or what the story was, but he runs for four yards down to the to, to North Carolina 35-yard line. Fourth and one. Darius Taylor converts easily, first down. First and 10 from the North Carolina 34-yard line, three minutes left in the third quarter. They're down eight. They decide to let Cole Kramer throw the ball, and he just, like, serves up. I mean, it's it, it was an arm punt into the end zone. Um, It was not even remotely close. I, I don't, like, just one of those, like, brain farts of, like, these are some really inexperienced offensive coordinators that they they thought oh, this yeah. was a good idea. So then, so that that drive ends. Um, North Carolina kicks a field goal on the next drive. Minnesota, you know, punts. There, you know, I like. And like start of the fourth quarter, Taylor runs for one yard and first down, and then they have two incompletions. Well, like whatever. That's that you know that that's pretty understandable. But then this is this is this is the one that kills me. So they're down 11. There's 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter. First down, Kaliak minus pass incomplete. Okay, be aggressive on first down. Second down, Darius Taylor runs it for eight yards. It is third and two. You, you should run Taylor, right? Kaliak minus <laughs> yep. takes a sack. Fourth and three from their own 40, and they punt. Wow. Yep. Game over. North Carolina gets it back with what ten minutes to play in the fourth quarter. Drake May drives him down for a t- for it for a touchdown. Like the like you 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 basically like made a weird ass play call on third and two with a with a running back that's averaging like seven yards per carry. Take a really conservative decision to punt and then basically give North Carolina the the, the chance to end the game. And and now like maybe these guys will learn from this. And are going to approach Northwestern a little bit different, but like the ray of hope here is that these guys look as um, as weird and unsettled as Mike Bajakian has for three years. It's, I mean, that's the thing. Like that's like we get so used to being in kind of our own little nightmare on this stuff, right? Yep. That then, like, I find myself like I'm watching on Minnesota's tape, being like, "Why the hell are you doing this? You should do this." Like it's obvious you should, do it. and then I stop myself and be like, "No, no, no." You should not do this. <laughs> By all means, keep doing exactly what you're doing. Like one of the examples is Minnesota runs a lot more under center than they did last year. And you might be thinking, well, that's power Big Ten football. No, no. Minnesota ran 52 run plays right at us, right out of shotgun last year. Well, well so this, this, is, this is where Kirk Chirac is a really important person to call out. We've named him a couple times on the podcast already. If you're not familiar, so Chirac, um was uh, with P.J. Fleck at Western Michigan for a period of time. I think he went somewhere else. But then when 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 P.J. came to Minnesota, Sharaka and he reconnected. And Kirk Sharaka runs a hardcore RPO offense. And when you when you couple that with a with a absolutely bruising running back um, who could break tackles in uh, 
Muhammad Ibrahim, all of a sudden you've got a, like a really powerful attack. And I'll never, I'll never forget previewing what the 2019 Minnesota team and saying like, Tanner Morgan in limited action last year had like better stats than the, the the quarterback at Ohio State. And there's just no way, there's no way he's he stays more efficient than the Ohio State quarterback in this next year. And then he did. And it's because they ran RPOs so effectively. And Tanner Morgan was just really, really good at running RPOs and making those split-second decisions. And so what John's describing are those 50 runs from the shotgun last year, probably 49 of those were RPOs where they were reading the outside linebacker and, you know, making the math work in their favor, making a split second decision and, and also knowing that Northwestern just couldn't stop the run. Right. So. Right. And that's the thing. Like when you look at like, what was the decision with that RPO, like, let's put it this way. Like Ethan Kalik Manis threw for 64 yards last year. So like he was reading R. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they didn't, they didn't need to. And right. But but like it, it it underscores that like Sharaka leaving is a pretty big because he left once before he left in what twenty twenty one to go to Penn State where he was very ineffective as the offensive coordinator and Minnesota kind of stagnated a little bit on, on offense that year. Yeah, and like the the reason that I bring up the under center is it's obvious why they do it. It's because they want to run play action out of it because they want to try to get Kaliak Manis going. You can watch multiple plays against North Carolina where they run a play action and he rolls out and throws a wounded quail that lands far away from the intended target. It is, they these guys want to run some sort of balanced multiple offense here with a team that's not equipped to do that. This is last year's team, but slightly lighter on the offensive line with a, a, a elite running back. She's just not Mo Ibrahim. But, like, they should hand the ball off to this guy 50 times against us, and I don't know that they're going to do it. They might come out and really try to do something with Kalik Manis in this game. And again, Braun is not the guy to play those kind of games with. Like, we know that already. Like, this is like where you remember, it's like, this guy's like at the FBS level, sure, but at the F... Like, This is not his first rodeo. He's coordinated a ton of games. That's how he was able to make all those adjustments against UTEP. And you hope you get those chances. Because like real talk, again, is Minnesota's line what it was last year? No. But do they still have a big strength advantage against our front? Yeah, they do. And Taylor's really good. And they're going to run that specific play. They're going to read option that strong side linebacker. And they're going to throw it into the line. And they're probably going to have some success doing it. Um... But they, you know, you can see, you watch these guys and you're like, you guys are squirrely. Like you look like you don't know what you're doing a lot of the time. And our guy is really good at this job and he might figure this thing out. So one other wrinkle that I'll specifically put relative to the offense, to Minnesota's offense is one thing that's easy to forget because last game's game, last year's game was such a horror show. Bryce Gallagher didn't play in that game. You're talking about the guy they're going to be running right at, and this game means a ton to him. He didn't get a bite at the Apple last year. He's having a special season. He's got 37 tackles through three games, which is stupid numbers. Um, And this game's going to mean a lot to him, and he's going to be the point man. They're going to go right at him a bunch of the time. And um, little things like that make a difference. Um, Special game from him, special game from Braun, um, and 
some squirreliness on the other side, and you can start piecing this thing together. 11 and a half points is the line. I mean, here's the thing. Like, I be- I really believe everything John just said, and I do have a lot of faith in David Braun as the 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 defensive coordinator willing to adjust and try and see what he can explore. And he's going to come into this game with some ideas. Like they're going to make some changes. They're, they're probably going to make Minnesota's offense work for it. I am quite concerned on the other side of the ball that we're not going to see that same, that, that level of creativity, that level of, of, planning and looking for um, opportunities and, and holes in, in the armor um, from Bajakian. And like he, he, he tends to like more old school, just come in and say, Hey, this is what I'm doing. I, I just, I'm just, I'm just worried about that. And that's why that line makes total sense to me, even though I think we have a chance. So at this point, I mean, we keep waiting for Bajakian to show us something different. He ain't showing me. Th- he, that's just not happening. Like we, well, it's it's the second half of UTEP is the is like one of the f- very rare times we've seen him, and that's why on last week's podcast we talked so effusively about it. Like it's one of the rare times we've seen him really do something different, and and really attack a team in the second half in in such spectacular fashion. I I wonder though, and kind of looking back on it, I wonder how much of that had to do with the fact that Bryant got hurt and all of a sudden we're playing different quarterbacks and you know, we're... Yeah, it was happening before, okay. before that okay. though. Fair, it was happening fair. before that though. You had the, you had, you had the loud, you had the Ben Bryant, like jet sweep, Lausch run thing. Like you had some, some cool stuff that was well thought out yeah. and well planned. Well, so again, I don't want to take away from the fact that on first and second down for like when Northwestern didn't get behind the sticks, they were good against Duke. And that's the thing is like Cam Porter like had a half decent day. It's just like you got to be getting three yards on your carries or four yards. You can't be getting zero yards. You can't take any losses, right? It's easy. It's very easy for me for a situation where Minnesota rolls in this game. It's because Darius Taylor goes for 200 yards and we look like we have no answers on third, third and long. That's, that's exactly what it'll look like. It'll be like, oh, here comes another third and seven. Here comes more glue coverage from Minnesota. Here's Ben Bryant throwing a ball into a tight window that gets batted down. We punt, and then Darius Taylor breaks off another big run for a touchdown. That's what that's what the negative situation will look like. Um, the flip side is, again, Minnesota's not a great football team, and they make dumb decisions a lot of the time. And they don't have a t- defense that's loaded with talent. It's not as good of a defense as Duke's defense. Um, and they have a quarterback who's prone to make big mistakes. And those are all things you can gather up and pull a win out of. Um, and yeah, like you just, there have to be dynamic things or, or Northwestern's got to stay on the front foot. The offensive line's got to keep improving and they really have gotten better. Um, so much better, particularly on pass pro. Um, there's part of me who like, you know, cause we make these comments on Twitter and things like that. And, and we're mapping things out and then people are like, Hey, like start Sullivan, start Lausch. And obviously We've all been over these things, and and again, it's like Ben Bryant can make a ton of throws, and he's you know he puts the ball generally speaking where it needs to go. He's calm in the pocket usually, so it's like I'm cool with that. If you're 
as Scuzz said, running a dynamic offense and doing a lot of different things. There is part of me that like on a third and seven, I'd love to just see them bring Jack Lausch out and just run a normal play just because I want to see what Minnesota would do. I just want to see Minnesota be like, wait, what are they doing? I, oh, they're just going to run like the same play. I just want to see how Minnesota reacts. Um, and I juxtapose it to, I can't stress enough how furiously Braun is trying everything on the defensive side of the ball. And sometimes stuff works and sometimes stuff doesn't work. But the sheer volume of personnel who were rotated through last game was crazy. And he called a bunch of different plays. And there were there were several drives where we were like, son of a bitch, Riley Leonard. Like, that was the right play. We got to you and your squirrely ass just got away and ran for it. And it's like, you know what? Yeah, because he's a Heisman Trophy candidate. You know what? Minnesota doesn't have at quarterback a Heisman Trophy candidate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you, like, he's going to keep trying absolutely everything. And again, it's like, yeah, there's a little bit of that broken record piece with Bajakian. But give the guys credit on the offensive side of the ball that they've really improved what they're doing on first and second down. And again, you do enough front foot stuff, you stay out of third and longs, you keep moving the sticks, and we'll be in this. Shall we uh, kind of zoom around the conference a little bit? Can I? I just I'm going to interject with a non-football thing here sure. in the middle, right as we're about to transition, and that's that um, as we've been going here, uh, I've had the television on the background and got to watch the Dallas Wings featuring your Veronica Burton. Ooh, yeah, um, knock off the Atlanta Dream. Um, oh, that puts them up two nothing. Well, it, it, it wins them the series, so they've oh, yeah. moved. They're moving on to the second round. So um, now they are, they're the four seed, and um, the Dream were the were the were the five seed. It's a team that they've had like a lot of success against, like six six wins in a row or something. Burton did not play a ton, but um, but still, like it's it's great to see uh, her team advance. And um, yeah, they they get they take on number one Las Vegas uh, in the next round. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation, and go Cats. Zooming around the conference a little bit last week, uh, Maryland beat up on Virginia. Um, Talia looks really good. This is like, we were like, where's your breakout game, Talia? And there it was. <laughs> uh, Michigan beat Bowling Green 31-6, to but didn't look great doing it. There is definitely, I feel like, some official rumblings, maybe from like sports writers from a couple different places, being like, Michigan's not performing well against S&P Plus. They're not like, and I'm like, I literally their season doesn't start. Like their season starts now, surprisingly, in this Rutgers game against a Rutgers team that's more feisty than we thought. But it's like, <clears throat> Michigan has been asleep for the past month. Like I can't stress that enough. Like, they are just rolling out of bed right now. Like, if you think that any of that has bearing against their real football games, no. Find me another um, Big Ten team that can uh, throw three picks and um, 
still win without really even trying. Yeah. These games mean nothing to them. Yeah. Uh, Ohio State beats Western Kentucky 63-10. to 10. Um, On the flip side. Marvin Harrison Jr. He's good. He's sick. And McCord needed this because that dude's had a rough road. And granted, it's Western Kentucky, but <clears throat> they... They he needed something. I mean, but the difference is, we all said that this was what was going to happen in week one against Indiana, and it's I guess happening in week three, and I still think we're all waiting to see Ohio State play someone real. Uh, Penn State uh, five takeaways on defense, uh, really taking it to Illinois, thirty to thirteen. It's interesting because in the first half, Illinois was really hanging tough mm-hmm. and making things very difficult for Penn State. Um, uh, Drew Aller just couldn't couldn't get comfortable, couldn't um, connect down down downhill, was getting sacked, and then um, but but on the other side of the ball, Illinois could do literally nothing. Right, that's exactly it. It's like you came away thinking Penn State didn't play a good football game for a lot of this game, and they still smoked Illinois <clears throat> and. It's credit to Illinois, like exactly like you said. Like again, Illinois' defensive line is strong, and their linebackers are pretty good, and their secondary ain't. And Aller was not cashing that ticket at all in the first half. But yes, looking at Illinois' offense versus Penn State's defense, I'm like, I don't want to think about Penn State. <laughs> Just put that. Let's let's tuck them away. No need to think about them yet. Uh, Washington beats Michigan State forty-one to seven. I mean, Michigan State. We we told we told we told you all to look away, and uh... yeah, yeah. And now I guess what they've Michigan State's notified Tucker of <clears throat> intent to fire, um, which I suppose is you know working through the process. But <clears throat> I, let's look on the positive side of of this game. Michael Penix is probably your Heisman front runner until proven otherwise. He's throwing for like 400-something yards a game and looks like you easily argue he's the best player in the country right now. So let's see that keep going. I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that three of the top quarterbacks in the country are in the Pac-12 right now. Yeah, it's still Caleb Williams, but Michael Penix is number two um, on, on ESPN's kind of odds tracker. And where's Shadur Sanders? Plus 1,200. He's pretty far down. Sixth really? or seventh. Because Quinn Ewers, uh, Sam Hartman... Jordan Travis uh, are all ahead of him. So he's the one, two, three, four, five, six QB. If he beats Oregon this weekend, that might change, but I don't yeah. think that's going to happen. All right. Well, probably not, but we'll see. Um, we talked about North Carolina beating Minnesota. Iowa turns it on after a pretty sleepwalky start uh, to beat Western Michigan 41 to 10. Yeah, but big news in this one, Luke Lachey is out. And <clears throat> that guy has been the engine of their offense um, so far. And again, as many points as they ended up scoring in this game, wasn't the line something like... It was a, 20, it was a 28 and a half point margin and they won by 31. So they did, they did, they did just fine. Yeah, they did. I mean, again, it's like <clears throat> losing... Probably, probably, the, probably the biggest concern is that McNamara threw two picks. Um but again, it's like Lachey. We talked about him last week, big time player, and that's you're losing a you know one of the Big Ten's best tight ends from a team that's you know, <clears throat> and again, like as Scuzz always said, like McNamara is a capable quarterback, but he's running out of tools to work with very fast. Yeah, 
Now, LaShawn Williams maybe kind of emerged as as uh, like as a running back. He had he had you know very few carries the first two weeks. Had twelve for one forty five in this game, but this is a, a pretty inferior opponent where you know Iowa's multiple year now problems on the offensive line uh, would would probably not uh, manifest. So we'll see. Can't believe they haven't fed those kids just nothing but corn and beef. It's a it it's a mystery. Yeah. Uh, Louisville beats Indiana 21-14. Um, that, like, John, I know you love to pick on that Ohio State-Indiana game week one, but I just I don't think there's a lot of merit to picking on it. I don't know. I mean, you, just because Indiana's feisty. <clears throat> the, uh... I, I, think they're, I think they're a tougher out than you're giving them credit for, especially, especially week one. No, I mean, we said coming into this game that they earned the right to say that they've played pretty good – as we said during the, if if Jeff Brom's not the coach of Louisville, I don't think they win this game. Um, Indiana for sure could have taken it. Yeah, yeah. No shade on Indiana for Ohio State's week one struggles. That's for sure. You're right. Uh, Georgia Southern loses to Wisconsin thirty five fourteen. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that is that is one where phrasing it that way does not sum up what happened in this game. Uh, five Lord picks, um, and and the quarterback f- threw five picks and fumbled once, but also th- he was thirty three of fifty two for three hundred and eighty three yards. Yep, with five picks, they it was Wisconsin should have been down in this game big by multiple scores, and because of unreal. And what's wild is in our Wisconsin off season preview, we talked about the fact that. Everyone threw on Wisconsin last year, uh, including Ethan Kalik Manis, and that this is the weakness of this team. This is not news. Wisconsin has been a bad pass defense for a while, and this whole thing that Scuzz has mapped out where it's like weird and it's hard to get a feel for like what they're doing on offense, and they're trying all this weird stuff, and meanwhile you can chuck the ball all over the yard against them, it's like... This is not a recipe for success. Not this season, not right now. Going forward, maybe, but not right now. Braylon Allen did not get a carry in this game. That is wild. Until there were eight minutes remaining in the second quarter. Wow. First drive. Chaz Malusi one yard, Chaz Malusi one yard, Tanner Mordecai sacked, punt. Second drive. Tanner Mordecai pass, Tanner Mordecai pass, Tanner Mordecai pass, Tanner Mordecai pass, Tanner Mordecai run, Tanner Mordecai pass, and then what? what uh, something happened where like it says it says downs, but it looks it looks. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, he, he was passing complete on fourth down, so they turned it over on downs. Um, the third drive, they like Mordecai connected on a few things. Malusi had a couple of runs, but again, like this this Wisconsin team, I mean, like. Braylon Allen ended up carrying the ball 28 times, I believe. Um, No, 12 times for 94 yards. He averaged 7.8 yards per carry, and he did not touch the ball until eight minutes were remaining in the second quarter. Now, if 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 they don't figure out that that's how they should start the game, like... If you think John's preview of Minnesota is calling him a squirrely yeah, offense, just wait for say. Wisconsin. I mean, like, again. Talk about trying to make fetch happen. Throwing yeah. away 30 years of identity. It 
is preposterous. This is literally earlier in the day. Like, Scuzz and I are having this, oh my God, this Minnesota tape. Oh my God, this Wisconsin tape. I'm just saying, if after our game, we have some amazing game, and you're wondering why Darius Taylor only touched the ball like 20 times, it's because sometimes people do dumb things. Yep. That's the answer to that question. Sometimes people just make bad choices. Uh, Rutgers, 3-0 and after uh, beating Vatek 35-16. to I mean, again, is Vatek down right now? Sure. But Rutgers has played three teams and stomped all of them, and that includes us. And do I think Rutgers is going to beat Michigan? No, I do not. But after they play Michigan, they get to play an FCS team, and then they get to play this goofy-ass Wisconsin team. And boy, oh boy, should everyone be circling that game. Well, I, I think with a, an important call out here is that Virginia Tech also played Purdue, and R- Rutgers controlled this game in ways that Purdue didn't. I mean, Rutgers was up twenty-one-three at half. This game was basically mm-hmm. over, and then they and then they kind of like stomped on the pedal in the fourth quarter to put it away. Um, the Purdue Virginia Tech game was tight and back and forth all game. So like, I, like the. I don't think they have a prayer of doing anything in the East, but Rutgers is decent. And John, I think you even tweeted like if Rutgers was in the West, they would legit be in the mix to win it. And I think you're right. It's, it's not for nothing that the two teams that have beaten Northwestern haven't lost with wins over Virginia tech and Clemson. Okay. It's not insignificant and it's worth filing away. It doesn't mean we're good either, but right. No, but but it's, (laughs) but Yes. Temper your it's expectations, not... people. Yeah. And, and John, remind me who Rutgers' offensive coordinator is again? Kirk Shiraka. Kirk Shiraka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Before, I guess. I guess in the in the like he was with PJ, and then he went to Rutgers with Shiano before Shiano went to the NFL, and then he came back to Minnesota, and then he came to Minnesota. I can't remember the exact order uh, order of operations, but. Um, yeah, Rutgers the, is not looking for their money back on the Shiraka experience yeah, right yeah. now. No, well, they're, they're, and it's they're, and they're it's, a, it, it's his second stint there, which is fun. Like like, so yeah, it's funny. Uh, Nebraska gets their first win of the year, uh, thirty-five eleven over Northern Illinois. Replaced their quarterback. Well, so I guess Jet- I guess uh, Sims got hurt in the Colorado game. Yeah, and he's so, and I oh, think oh, did he really? And the t- yes, and the timetable that I saw was the kind of recovery timetable that very much puts the Northwestern game right up in the air. Like I wasn't exactly sure, but um, it was very much up in the air whether it would be him. But again, like the way this guy performed, like, you know, if they find some rhythm again, didn't Northern Illinois like not win a game last year or something like that? Like this is, I wouldn't be reading too much into this. Nebraska has yet to show anybody anything. In fact, I think, I want to say Northern, did they lose to, was it Southern or someone like that? They, 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 they beat BC and then they lost to Southern because, Sam, you yeah. made a great joke last week about, like, who hasn't lost to Southern? Right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> so, again, I, uh, I don't know that Nebraska has solved any uh, of their problems. And they were 3-9 they were and nine last year. With wins okay. over Eastern Illinois, Eastern Michigan, and Western Michigan. So unless you're, you know, directional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, they they did lose to Central Michigan, so couldn't could have had the set, but did not work out that way.
finally, Syracuse uh, goes to uh, West Lafayette and beats Purdue 35-20. to 20. Purdue, Purdue not good, y'all. No. Yeah, Purdue is one to, to circle. This is their, again, it's like this is like to circle all the way back to where we started. This is why we're not friggin' focusing on that Duke game. Because we got Purdue on the schedule, we got Minnesota on the schedule, we got Illinois on the schedule, we got Nebraska on the schedule. It's like, know the games that the right performance puts us right in the thick of them. Uh, I know last week while we were previewing kind of the national scene, it was like nothing was really jumping out as being juicy. But uh, those are always the weeks where something weird, some weird, weird stuff happens. Um, You know, Florida State just barely hangs on to beat BC. That was a fun game to watch. It was, and it's the, I'm blanking on his name, Wells, I want to say. Yeah, Wells Um, Crowther. Wells Crowder, like, <clears throat> it's the game that's the Paisley game that's always super important for BC every year. It's where they commemorate their hero of 9-11. And um, it's always a really emotional game, an inspiring game. It's the kind of, exact kind of game where, you know, BC gets a foothold. And that's exactly what happened. Um, credit to FSU for pulling it out. But it was for sure. I mean, I, I don't know that they pulled it out. It's more they hung on for dear life. Yeah. I mean, like, they it was it was a tight game. And, you know, it's like... I think a lot of teams get the crap scared out of them. And for FSU, a team that they have all the pieces. Jordan Travis is awesome. Um, but they're only just arriving back in this place. And this was for sure, I think, a wake-up call. Uh, Texas beat Wyoming, but you know, did not look very good until the very end. I mean, they, they only pulled away from them late. It was tied 10-10 going into the fourth quarter. But then yeah. they, won, they, they scored three TDs. Isn't it's Texas. Isn't the surprise that they got their shit together in the fourth quarter? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking um, of getting your shit together in the fourth quarter, how about the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide? Oh, my yeah, Lord. Alabama. Wow. Tied 3-3 three, three and a half with South Florida. Hoo-ha. Shouts, shouts to our, our man Gary, who's probably listening to this pod right now. But, uh, hoo boy. Boy, you had quite the run. Four current starting NFL quarterbacks in a row. And then... Uh, you started Tyler Buckner this week, and man, when they elevated him, we were like, wow, okay. And that experiment lasted one game, and now they're not going even back one to game. no row because they <laughs> Not even to. the whole game. Uh, yeah. Florida you know, looked pretty decent, uh, beating Tennessee handily, 29-16. Um, Graham Mertz not looking terrible uh, in the swamp. Yeah, it's kind of preposterous. Um, I don't know. At the same time, he was nineteen of twenty-four, so like, good, like decent accuracy, no picks, but for only one hundred and sixty-six yards, right? So, yeah, Scuzz, he was held back. If he could just be unleashed in this glorious air raid offense that Wisconsin's, yeah, I mean, I mean inter- <laughs> interestingly, just like he at, at Wisconsin, he is he is partnered with an absolutely electric running back in Trevor Etienne, who. Um, is really really good and and yeah. ran through what was supposed to be a good Tennessee defense like a hot knife through butter. So, uh, the the one other game I want to mention, uh, well, two, one, uh, Missouri knocks off K State with a sixty one yard field goal at the buzzer. Yeah, that was sick, and I watched that. And one of the wildest things about it is there was a flag on the play that I guess was against um, Kansas State. But I don't know how they would have dealt with it because the entire stadium was on the field within like 15 seconds of that ball going through. And 
I almost, you see all the officials and I, they, I guess they discussed it, but I don't know what their plan was if it was on Missouri. <laughs> I did so. They, uh, but it was, that was an awesome moment. That was crazy. And uh, the game that seemingly the entire country stayed up super, super late oh, to watch. Oh boy. Uh, Colorado, Colorado State. Um, you Co- know. Colorado, Colorado, tell me more. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Colorado wins 43-35. Um, yeah, Colorado's defense is is rough. They, they, I mean, they lost Travis Hunter uh, right around halftime on a brutal, brutal hit. But well, you know, we, Colorado State had we, every opportunity. We got to back way up to like okay. Wednesday when oh, yeah. out of nowhere, Colorado State's quarterback Jay Norvell takes a coach, shot coach, at Dion. I'm sorry, coach. Yes, coach Jay Norvell takes a shot at Dion for being like rude by keeping his sunglasses and hat on, like like some classic, like um, classist, uh, like just. It was ama- uh, It was amazing. No one asked for it, and he was no. just like, "You're yeah, my totally." Okay. It was like, "It was like, oh, there's a bear over there." Oh my god, he <laughs> poked the bear. And the amazing uh, thing is, he almost poked the bear and then had bear for dinner. It was unbelievable. He, he almost pulled it off. Um, what was like? There was a, there was this video of Dion at practice, literally that afternoon, like calling his players together and and basically saying like. I don't know what just happened, but I'm just minding my business. And then this dude starts talking trash and, and like, you, you can just see the, 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 the mindset of Colorado, like the team is so bought in. Like he didn't even, he didn't even have to prompt them more than once. And they're all like, it's personal now. And of course, then we all thought Colorado is going to mop the floor, but Colorado state showed that, that the, the Buffaloes, like that, you know, you can get after them with, with, um, some heft on your D line. You can, I mean, they Colorado state really tried to punch Colorado in the mouth and see what they could do with it. Well, and, I mean, uh, it literally, I mean, they took like what? 21, some like 18 or 19 penalties, like five yes. or six personal fouls. I mean, they shot themselves in the foot. There's, there's no reason Colorado state should have lost that game. Yes. But, it, but it Epic, like what a 98 or 98 90, yard, 98 yard uh, game tying touchdown drive by, by Shadur Sanders. Um, and then they go toe to toe in OT. And of course, like to your, to your point, Sam Travis Hunter is out of the game. Um, the opening touchdown was a pick six scored by Sanders. Other kid who plays DB, this game who, had this game totally had everything. Wa- like he really wanted to high step into the end zone. Like you could tell, like, <laughs> they had a, a Ram guy was right on his back, so he couldn't. But like he wanted to high step oh, so man. badly. This game had everything, and like e- even in overtime. So you know, Colorado wins the toss, decides to go on offense first, which no one ever does. Um, scores a touchdown. Colorado State, you know, scores the touchdown. Why they didn't go for two in the win right there is beyond me. Like. You have one play to win the game. Why not? Jay Norvell, you know? old, he's old-fashioned. He doesn't like the sunglasses. He doesn't like, you know, he's a traditionalist. Two-point two conversions are communism. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, I mean, that, that was that was fun. I mean, like, the entire college, you know, sports world is focusing on, on Dion, And, like, rightfully so. I mean, this has yeah. just been entertaining and like you you look past the fact that yeah their offensive and defensive lines are light and we like we knew that going in but you look past that because of just this you know cult of personality around Deion Sanders like you know when you got 
you know, the rock just hanging out in your, in the locker room after the game. It's, and, it's not but, just cult of personality though, in that, like, and I, what, I think what he's proven for the th- first three weeks is that he's a freaking great coach. It all, and like, this like, all just works. It, yeah. Yeah, I and I I I thought this the day he did his intro press press conference with Colorado. I think he understands today's college athlete in a way that a lot of coaches uh, don't. And maybe it helps. He's got two kids in college who have professional aspirations, and he was such a successful uh, professional athlete. Like he has he has some really um, interesting bona fides. That like like the the number of college coaches that played meaningful professional football is I I mean. Is it any more than one? Well, I mean, it's just two. People. I mean, Harbaugh. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I guess Harbaugh, exactly yeah. But it's like, it's that's just one of the many millions of things that this guy has to sell. And it's just like, it's like to be like, well, you know, he won't have his kids forever. Do you, like, do you have any idea what his recruiting classes are going to look like? Oh. You think everyone, get, like, you think all these kids don't want to be at the center of the college football universe? Like, He was I getting mean, guys to come play at Jackson State. This. That, right. I mean, I mean, Travis Hunter was the number one recruit in college, right. decommitted from Florida State right. to go to Jackson State. So it's funny. There was there was a headline on um, – I, f- I forget where I saw it today, but there was a headline like – you know, I think on one of these like news aggregator sites where it's like, Deion Sanders has college football establishment like running scared. And I'm like, you ran that exact same headline a year and a half ago when he was pulling in Travis Hunter mm-hmm. to Jackson State. Um, and it, it, and uh, he, he, he hits on all the notes. And I, like, I think the, one of the thing that's really worth calling out is there was no crowing or chest thumping after this win. No. There was, there was no like taking shots back at Jay Norvell. He basically just said, Hey, I wish him well. It was a, it was a, it was a hard fought game. And I, like, I, you know, I guess, I guess to, to some of the points we've made about Braun just being humble and, um, and honest and open. And I think, you know, I, I I don't know that you can call Deion Sanders humble, but like that that response was humble. He could he could have gone the other track, just, and he decided not to. And he just he just knows he just knows all the strings to pull. Right, he makes he's making all the right moves for sure. All right, so taking a look at this weekend real quick. Um, you know, Friday night you got Wisconsin at Purdue. Um, Wisconsin is six point favorite on the road. I mean, the fact that Wisconsin's only a six-point favorite to everything Scuzz said kind of shows you where Wisconsin is right now. I mean, I mean, Hudson Card threw for what three fifty-three against um, Syracuse, and oh boy! I mean, like that's this Wisconsin is, secondary. This is going to be a barn burner of a game because they're like neither team should be able to stop the other one. Right. I mean, Lord, have, if if Purdue I mean, were, the over the over under is fifty-three and a half. So I mean, that if Vegas is kind of buying into that narrative. If Purdue wins this game, you can officially throw anyone's predictions or thoughts about the West right out the window. <laughs> like it's a, it's a free for all. 53 and a half. I mean, you're talking like 28, 25, 31, 21, like to stay under that number. Like this feels like a 41 to 31 type game to me. I don't know. Like I, 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 I don't see Wisconsin stopping card and there's no, there's no, they run the ball and get up in it. That stops card either. Purdue doesn't run, run a ton. I mean, Maccabee a good running back, but and, and I guess I, like what's funny is the thing that's going to keep this under the, under the total is if Tanner Mordecai and Wisconsin 
get crosswise and get down and then can't turn to the running game to save them and don't score enough points to win. Mm. 11 o'clock, you mentioned the Rutgers-Michigan game. Uh, Michigan a 24-point favorite at home. Over-under is 44. Talk about Jay Novo poking the bear. Rutgers is crawling into the bear cave and saying, wake up, bear. Poke, poke, poke. Wake on up. And I think Michigan finally will. Uh, Florida Atlantic at Illinois. Um, Illinois a 15-point favorite. That uh, game's at 230. That feels yeah. like one where FAU yeah. just won't score. 2.30 on NBC. Maryland at Michigan State. Uh, Maryland is seven and a half point road favorite. Michael Penix part de, I think is what you're going to get. Yeah, I think, Tal- I think, I think Talia is going to have no trouble in this game. Uh, Louisiana Tech at Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska a 20 point home favorite. Okay, so Ooh, Louisiana Tech must be really bad. Because this was definitely a game where I was like, I need to know what kind of football team Louisiana Tech has. Apparently I mean, they don't have a good one. They're they're mm. two and two. Uh, they beat FIU in Northwestern State. They lost to SMU in North Texas. Yeah, I they 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 gave up a lot of points. Nebraska should be able to to score no matter who plays QB. They should be fine. Rule need rule needs a little creamy frosting, and he's getting it. Yeah. Uh, game day heading to South Bend, Ohio State at Notre Dame, six thirty on um, NBC. I feel like we've been talking about this one forever. And honestly, like for for Kyle McCord, I know he had a good game last week, but it feels like, oh my gosh, this game's already here, and it came way too quick for Ohio State. I'm kind of stunned that they're favored in this game. Um, I am too. I consider Notre Dame to have a massive quarterback advantage and a good defense. And yes, we all know Ohio State's weapons, but I think Notre Dame's the better team right now at this point in time, especially at home. Every time I look at this, I'm like, am I just biased against Ohio State? But it's weird. To, like, at best, I feel like this is an even matchup for what you just described, John. And I don't – I mean, you could probably say Ohio State has a coaching advantage just because Ryan Day has got a lot more experience. Um, but, man, I, like, I mean, the, like, Ohio State will take this seriously, but this is – this is Notre Dame's friggin' Super Bowl for the year. Will it will be fun? Um, definitely looking forward to it. Uh, also, six thirty on CBS. You got Iowa at Penn State. Uh, Penn State a fourteen and a half point favorite. Uh, Over under is forty. I May am I? super intrigued to watch this game. Not because I think it's going to be like I think that fourteen point spread is on point right now. I just like this will be this this is going to teach us a lot about. May I, six, two, four, six, may two, I ask, four, six, may two, I four. ask a two-part question? Part one, do either of you think Drew Aller will throw a pick six in this game? Yes or no? Um, I'm going to say no. no. So part two, if no, will Iowa score points in this game? <laughs> Yes, but not many. I think single digits. Yeah. Yeah. Safely single digits for me. Um, They are... Penn State is... You take every defense... Let's put it this way. Utah State gave Iowa trouble when Iowa had the ball. Penn State is 15 times better defense than Utah State. They might... This is really... Someone's going to walk out of this game thinking that they're for sure the best defense in the Big Ten and one of the best in in America. And we'll probably be right. 
One of yeah. the things that's coming more and more clear to me about Iowa, you know, I I, I was when when we previewed them, I I I said I thought they had you know three things going for them potentially, like you know some 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 transfers in on on the offensive line, a a transfer at wide receiver from Ohio State, and then um, McNamara coming from Michigan. But it's just clear that like across the board they they don't they don't have the explosiveness either in their power running game or in their receiver core to really to to really do much of anything on offense and i think that's really going to come to bite them in this game that's what i expect to see finally in uh you know the big 10 Akron is at indiana indiana is a 16 point favorite at home that's a 6:30 start also on big 10 network whoop de woo yeah Pretty indiana indiana will spank them like Scott said, that's a team that's better than their record. Uh, some other you know big games nationally: uh, Florida State, Clemson, Oklahoma, Cincinnati. I'll I will be at that. I am I am um, dead, and I decided not to go to the the Northwestern Minnesota game this year. Um, he's going to come see the kids in the Natty. We're going to have a good time. So um, nice. probably won't see a win, but that that's okay. I'm going for the for the experience. I just wish it wasn't a noon kickoff. It's gonna be a little yeah. hot. Uh Colorado, Oregon. Um is two thirty central a kickoff there on ABC. Utah, UCLA, Ole Miss, Alabama. Real I mean, quick on the Oregon, Colorado. I mean, like we just heaped a lot of plaudits on Colorado. They're three touchdown underdogs in this Oregon game, and that's Do you see what the over under is on that? 71 71 yeah because because oregon's got like a really good really good on both lines and a, a great offense and colorado's defense is real problematic and they just lost their best two-way player so um oh yeah, yeah. no i like i i see oregon scoring a ton of points I, is there is their defense bad too because i mean colorado's offense is, is good but without hunter that that hurts and like they can't run the ball either yeah, that does seem like a high line, actually, now that you say that. Or a high uh, over-under. ABC is, you know, we're talking ESPN family of networks, so I don't know how the heck they're going to explain to the entire Colorado machine that they're obligated to do nothing but talk about Bo Nix for the entire game. I don't know how they're going to how they're gonna explain that to Colorado, but that's just the way ESPN operates. If Bo Nix is playing, you just have to talk about how great he is for the entire game. So. Well, well, and you got to interview Brian Harson. I, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know they, what he's yeah. doing next. Right, but. Exactly. I mean, they, they got to go, like, right, pull him out of whatever bank he's at in an extended interview. So like, don't get too mad, Colorado. Um, you know, those are kind of the biggies. I mean, Oregon State, Washington State, you know, the, the, Pac, the Pac-12 champion is going to come out of that one. Or the, the, fu- the future Pac-12 champion, right? Or the Pac-2. That's right. That the only meeting that'll be allowed to happen between those two schools, that they'll come in and declare themselves first and second place in the conference. That's right. Uh, Arkansas LSU. Um, that's uh, six o'clock on ESPN. Right, rivalry game in uh, in September. Yeah. The only one I, I mean, Ole Miss Bama. There's a chance that Ole Miss thumps Bama, and then Bama is deep, deep down the well. Um, I think it's USF's really bad, and Bama was an absolute mess, and Ole Miss is good, and it's not like literally every team in the country wouldn't kill to take swipes at Bama while they're down, so we're going to see. 
Um, USC, Arizona State, Cal, Washington. Uh, Doesn't it feel like one of those games will get squirrely? Pac-12 after dark, something strange will happen. Um, someone gets a, at least a scare put into them. I guess we'll see. On the other hand, maybe those Williams and Penix will just throw for 900 yards. Yeah, I, I, I would I would venture more on that front. Um, North Carolina Pitt, that could be fun. Yeah, there's just know. there's just a lot of fun. Like Texas Baylor. It's this is the week that we start to transition to conference or yeah. teams hitting some of their big um big non-conference games like Ohio State, Notre Dame. So, yeah, it's this is a big week. This is when it starts to get really real. Yeah, it's going to be fun for us too because for you and me, Sammy, cuz we're going to be spending the vast majority of this afternoon tailgating and talking with everybody and following all these games and then settling in for the evening. So, it's going to be a great day. Yeah, definitely looking forward to it. Um, anything else to mention before we go? Just how stoked we are. I mean, again, this is a big game. And yeah, there are a bunch of ways it could go. But within our little world, in terms of what this game is, what this game represents, the fact that it's a night game, um, the fact that right, the students, correct me if I'm wrong, are the students going to be there for this one? Yes, yeah, so yes the, they are. Today the is the first day Today's the first day of classes. Yeah, students are going to be in the house. Um, it's a big game. And I know it's, you know, again, we're not going to go down the whole rehash of, of everything and why some people are choosing, to, you know, to sit it out, perfectly understandable. But for, every, you know, for those of you who are coming, seek us out. It's, it's going to be a big time. It's a game that really matters to this football team. It's a game of real importance. Um, and it's a night game and an awesome time to come tailgate. So... So yeah, come hang out with us. Uh, we're going to have a great time. Uh, and, and finally, again, a reminder, um, you know, if you're listening to this on, on the day it releases uh, tonight on, on the 20th, that uh, Jacob Schmidt hosting uh, NIL Zoom call, uh, email him jacob at uh, truenu.com uh, for some more information on that. It should be a really, really good time. So uh, finally, uh, just want to give a... Happy anniversary, uh, Scuzz, to you and your lovely wife. Um, 13 years ago, uh, you celebrated your beautiful, beautiful wedding. And uh, that evening, the seed was planted that uh, eventually turned into this podcast. So, well, happy anniversary to you and happy anniversary to us. In- indeed. Um, some, 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 uh, some ep- epic language choices there, my friend. Yeah, I was I was gonna say, Scott <laughs> got married that night. The seed was planted. I was like, Sam's got to land the plane on this one. <laughs> well, with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at westlawpirates, and email the show westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John LeCombe and Eric Scasby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.